Throughout the Bible, God is described as having human-like emotions in many of the stories. These things we enjoy when it talks about his love or grace or mercy towards us. But what about the passages that describe his sorrow or even his regret? Can God make mistakes like we do? This is Consider It, where we are considering questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. Do you have questions regarding life, theology, or the church? If so, text the word REDEMPTION and your question to 830-299-7505. Again, that's 830-299-7505, and we will consider your question. To learn more about our church and our ministry here, visit redemption.bible. I'm Michael Hawkins. And I'm Blair Cushman. Let's consider it. Welcome back to Consider It. Another question this week. In many places in the Bible, it speaks of God regretting. Hmm. A few examples are 1 Samuel 15, 11 and 35, where the Lord regrets appointing Saul as king of Israel, and Genesis 6, 6, where it says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. How do I reconcile this with what I know about God's sovereignty and that he doesn't make mistakes? It's a lengthy question. It is. Like, I mean, I guess there's really one question in there. How do we reconcile this, you know, the, this idea of God regretting right. something that he's done and also the understanding of God's sovereignty that he doesn't make sense? And there's two examples in there, but I like this uh, question. It's related to, I think it's helpful even as we begin to to show the distinction here and also point uh, our listeners back to a podcast that was recorded several years ago on God relenting. So now we're kind of taking this idea of God regretting, whereas before it was this idea of God relenting, uh, where he had like promised disaster, promised judgment, said, uh, you know, said, well, maybe not promised, but he had, he'd said, I'm going to do this, but then God relents. He shows mercy. And so what do we make of that? What's our, the human play in that? Like, can we stop God's hand, you know, as we pray, uh, you know, as we know, like his judgment's coming and all that. Where, and so just you know, point you back if your question is on in that. Uh, we did a podcast several years ago on those passages. But this is particularly on God's regret or his sorrow or his grief over something that has happened, something that he's done or, uh, or a human has done. And, uh, and, and to have this regret... In regards to that, and and I think it's help good here because like when we say we regret something, it's an acknowledgement of a mistake, right? Yeah. Like, oh man, I regret eating that Whataburger last night. You know, like this morning, like <laughs> yeah, here in the morning here, it's like yeah, right. That's true. That's a, or or I regret having that extra piece of cake or something like that, yeah. and it's like oh, I should that was a bad decision. I should not have done that. Yeah. And so we use that kind of language. And so it seems to be the case then in these passages, which we'll look at more closely here in a minute, but it, it seems to be the case, like when we think of our own regret, is that what God is doing, right? And, uh, 
And this is where when we come to questions like this, I think what's helpful as we do in many and most of our podcasts here is what we have to start, especially when it comes to a Bible related question, we need to employ good hermeneutics. Those Bible study principles, those methods that, uh, that help us understand and interpret and even apply God's word correctly. Sure. That this isn't just a book that we can come to with a, uh, you know, with as a free for all and just make it say what we want it to say. People do that all the time. Yeah. But if we're going to get to the truth of the text and God's intended purposes for it, then we need to follow those principles that help us understand it. So um, I think in each kind of a podcast, we've taken different ones. And in this case, it's really, well, what do we do with what uh, scholars call anthropomorphic language? Sure. Which is really what this is. It's uh, taking a human characteristic or a human emotion and placing it on God. Yeah. And we see this in like children's stories, anthropomorphic language, as those kind of human emotions or human actions or yeah. things are placed on animals, you know, as animals are brought to life in yeah. children's stories and you know, and other things that's they've been anthropomorphized, and in different places in the Bible, yeah. these things are also given over to the Lord and describing Him, yeah. and yet we know that God is not a man. That's right. Yeah, you see examples. God looked down on them, or God reached out His mm-hmm. hand, or whatever. Yeah, attaching yeah. these human characteristics right. for a lack of our understanding of right. who he is and our our inability to comprehend him, we have to right. link right. what we do know right. to his actions to try to help right. understand. Right, to just understand. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in the writing of the Scripture, that the Holy Spirit inspiring you know, the human writers of the Bible to yeah. write these things, give these kind of like human examples in order to describe God's character or actions. Yeah. And it's not wrong. We do have to understand the limits of it. Right. You know, these are just descriptions. Like, it is here, uh, even though it's hum- Holy Spirit inspired, it is still finite humans yeah. trying to describe an infinite being. Exactly. Yep. And so that's where we have to wrestle with all these things. And so um, that's really when it comes to anthropomorphic language, we have to understand the limitations of it. And we can't take those examples to the nth degree. Second, what we have to do is also in those descriptions here, when we have to be careful of our own descriptions of, especially when it comes to like emotions here or, or actions or other things, is our personal concept of those are also tainted by sin. Yeah. And so where our regrets, our grief are tinged based from mistake because we are sinful human beings. We we don't have all the information in here. That's and right. and so when when it comes to the Lord, we can't say, nope, like yeah. you know, because of the things we know, God does not lie. God cannot sin. God you know yeah. the the other, you know, God is sovereign. He's in control, even as the question rightly acknowledges. And so I think even there we have to be careful. Like there's a limit there to when we these human descriptions, this anthropomorphic language that we have to be quick to detach the sinful elements of the human side of it and not attribute that to God. Right, and I think we talk about that a lot just in our approach to the Scriptures and mm-hmm. how often our experience, our understanding yep. 
influences how we read into these mm-hmm. things. And so it's just important that we allow Scripture to dictate who God is and not our limited understanding of right. these emotions, these concepts. Right, right. Yeah. And so, so I think that's that. That has to be the starting place of well, what do we do with language like this, and how do we understand? And we have to be just very careful here. And uh, and this is good and right, you know. This is just being good, careful Bible students. And so, let's uh, let's just go take the passages. Uh, even though the question first mentions for Samuel, let's just hit Genesis first because that's what comes chronologically. And so, what is happening here? Genesis. What's going on? Um, what do we what do we do with that? Genesis six is is a fantastic passage, uh, and and so just the context of it. Let me read Genesis six. Uh, well, let me start back in verse five and go through uh, verse eight because this is a this is a foundational passage in uh, in the whole story. And so most people know the flood story. That's what, this is right right at the beginning. Everybody knows Noah's ark and all that and the flood. You know, if you've been in like Sunday school and children's ministry, walls are painted with all, you know, yeah. uh, Noah and the ark and it's all bright and beautiful. And yet the reality was the earth wasn't all nice and bright and beautiful at this point. Nope. And so let me just read it for a second because uh, I think it'll be helpful here. So the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And so even that, like there's some anthropomorphic language, like, like the Lord seeing, you know, like he's like looking at something as if God has eyes. <laughs> it's a way to capture like, no, the Lord it knows what's going on. Yeah. Right. And so let me just start again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh man! <laughs> All right. I thought you said this was a great passage. This, this is this is bad, right? We look at our Earth today and we think, you know, man, it's just you know, like the whole world's going up in flames, right? And here, this isn't long after the creation of the world, and wickedness was everywhere. Yeah. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart, like down to the very core motivations of humanity only evil continually not sometimes not every other day not no only continually like this this is bad right yeah and uh it it just went downhill quick after sin entered the world in genesis 3 and uh you know cain kills abel People then are now dying, and God limits, actually, the uh, in, in this time frame is where God will begin to limit the, uh, the age of people, um, which I think is really just as uh, common grace here, you know, because could you imagine just the, the sheer terror of, of uh, wickedness of somebody who's in a place of power, uh, you know, like Lamech or something, uh, for... 700 800 even 900 years um but that's that's a whole nother a whole nother uh topic here (laughs) but but this is the condition of the earth like humanity is is wicked and continually evil and then that's that's the backdrop then of verse six the question is asking then and it says and the lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart and so that's where it is. Like, okay, is God admitting a mistake here? You know, like, oh, I should not have created humanity. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry 
that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'll read verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. This is, it's like a change here in, the, in Greek, or not Greek, in Hebrew, rather. Uh, there's a, a change now. The Genesis is broken up into what are called toldots, or generational kind of markers in the story of them. The generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And so what's happening all throughout here? Well, yeah, the backdrop is corruption, the rightful consequence on that corruption is judgment, God's justice, which is there in verse 7, but also this glimmer of hope. Right. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. No, just like out of the blue, who's this guy? No righteous deeds. Presumably he is amongst the corrupted here is kind of what we have to draw the conclusion of. And yet God is going to show this man favor. He's walking with him. He's righteous and blameless in his generation. And so in the midst of this, you have this grief from the Lord, this sorrow because of the wickedness that is on his humanity, uh, uh, that has been unleashed now throughout humanity. And it's not a, re- it's not a, like an admitting a mistake, like, oh man, I ate, you know, too many extra hamburgers. Oh, I should never have built this house or whatever. And it's, it's a sorrow that God has because he sees the destruction that is on his good humanity. Yeah. Humanity created in his image, humanity that, uh, you know, male and female that, uh, uh, he created uniquely and distinctly in his image now just tearing themselves apart. Yeah. I think what's interesting in all of this in the backdop is, is God's covenant and his promises right. to his people. Right. You know, and that's right. You know, as we continue, we'll, we'll see that. But just as you're reading it here yeah. about Noah, yeah, and and saying that God finds Noah to be a righteous man, this is right. This is based on who God is and His character, right. and His faithfulness, right. In this, so. Right. And He'll go on in just a few verses after that to establish a covenant with Noah. Um, as they come into the ark, a covenant that will preserve and protect them in the midst of, of all this. And so uh, even as we come to understand, like this is the backdrop, and as it we'll find here is a similar pattern that we'll see in First Samuel. But uh, uh, how do we understand all this? Well, it's like God's purposes and his sovereignty don't change. That's right. Right? His, his, his plans, his sovereign purposes for his glory uh, uh, all, all across the earth don't change. And at the same time, he's working through the means of humans and the effects of sin to accomplish them. Yeah. And so from our perspective, it might seem like God is changing his mind. You know, or God is, is you know, like, uh, like regretting, like, oh, snap, I didn't see that coming. I have to, like, do something different. No, God is seeing it all. He's outside of time. He's sovereign over everything. And now he is, he, he is going to carry out his means through this other way where it once was going this way. This was, this was you know, uh, where it seemed to be from our human perspective, the, the means by which God was going to be carrying out his plans and all that. And then God... Tr- 
you know, directs course. And that's how he can do it. That's where his providence is put on display and where he is working throughout all uh, humanity here where man meant it for evil, but God means it for good, where he uh, works all things uh, for uh, our good and his glory. And it's all playing out in this, even as he is, you know, being assigned this human expression of grief. Yeah, which is which is so cool. It's untainted by sin, but it says if God is up there, you know, and He's not just like some unfeeling being. Yeah, like we love all the the good feelings that God, you know, His yeah. love for us, His grace and mercy towards us, but also wickedness and our sin causes Him regret, yeah. sorrow, grief, uh, and 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 that should also break our heart. You know, like yeah. oh man, like. This is this this is deeply saddens the Lord. Yeah, our sin does. Yeah, I think when we think about our emotions um, being created in the image of God, um, there's this concept that we have, I guess, emotions that are are good. And so, for example, vigilance. Yeah. You know, we're called to be. Vigilant, and as created image bearers of God, we are vigilant to watch over the garden. We see that with Adam early on, and yet because of sin, it's it's been tainted to become anxiety and anxiousness, which leads to depression. So we see these good characteristics that we carry yeah. being image bearers, but then how the effects of sin have corrupted and changed them. And so I think just as we're talking about this now yeah like recognizing again that god's version of this is perfect um without sin where ours is right tainted right right let's go to the the next story because here's another one i think that's also really helpful and you'll see actually in this passage in first samuel 15 uh, both uses actually of this concept of regret that we that we have, and so what's interesting is the way the question is asked is it's not necessarily wrong, and it does form these like brackets to the story about God's regret in eleven and thirty five. But what wasn't actually referenced in the question because there is a third usage of of the word regret in the middle of it in verse twenty nine um, that uh, is also very helpful uh, to our understanding here. And so, just a little context in First Samuel fifteen. This is in uh, 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 Saul a few chapters earlier had been appointed king, king over Israel. Right, I feel like we've taken some questions on this. Um, people must be in First Samuel, I guess, in their Bible reading uh, time right now. But, anyways, and, and uh, it, so Saul's king. He's you know he's uh, been fighting uh, uh, Israel's enemies and all that. And at the beginning of First Samuel 15, then the Lord has told uh, uh, Saul that he is to uh, he was to utterly blot out to destroy Amalek. Okay. There's, a, there's a theme, actually, that's running all throughout the Old Testament here. Amalek has been a mortal enemy of Israel. And so now Saul is supposed to, like, go and, and just uh, just utterly blot, to destroy man, woman, child, uh, ox, sheep, all the livestock, everything. Again, that's another podcast, maybe, of how do we make sense of all that. But, but the, the reality is Saul doesn't do that. He does not completely obey the Lord. 
some spiritual imagery there too of like, no, we need to utterly blot out sin in our life. (laughs) You know, there's no giving any quarter to it, but to, uh, to, but to do that. And, and he, and he doesn't. There'll be some later consequences here because, uh, he takes the king of the Amaleks, uh, Agag, and he, um, you know, he, he spares him and all that. And he shows up actually later in the book of Esther, uh, Haman, who is a descendant here of uh, Agag, and 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 so there's a whole another theme, a, a thread throughout the uh, Old Testament with, with this family and these enemies um, that 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 really just kind of dog Israel all throughout the generations. But, anyways, they this is what's happening. So Saul is supposed to be king. He's supposed to be following the ways of the Lord, and he does not. He, he, he doesn't, and so then you get to verse 10, 1 Samuel 15, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Yeah. And, you know, Samuel is lamenting here. It says Samuel is angry, and he cries to the Lord all night, you know, right? He's like, no! <laughs> what? And... Uh, and so this is like yeah. it's like okay the obedience is so good. and what's 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 so sad then is all this has happened Samuel is God's anointed one goes and confronts Saul uh, as the chapter goes on uh, for it and he doesn't take responsibility he blames others like oh well they did this and and uh, you know it, it's the people's fault and he he totally. Uh, he he totally yeah botches it. Well, it's interesting too. Just thinking about this is Samuel is God's anointed, and yeah. who is Saul? He's the people's choice at king, yeah. and so just seeing a, this dynamic here of yeah disobedience and lack of um, following through with with God's perfect plan, and, and God has given the people the king that they desired. The right. The tall, handsome one, right? Um, the one that looked to be, you know, king according to the ways of the world. And yep. so, I don't know. There's just an interesting dynamic there as you were talking that kind of right. Right. jumped out as well. Right. Yeah, so that's that's at the beginning here. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel, and he says he regrets it. And then the chapter ends in verse 35 in the same way. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And so there, just kind of like, it's the bookends to the passage here of God's grief, his sorrow in, uh, in Saul's rejection of the Lord. This ultimately leads to the kingdom being removed from Saul. And then in the very next chapter, this shepherd boy, <laughs> the youngest son, Jesse, is now then anointed and appointed as king. King David, and so the story changes uh, after that. But here, in the midst of this, this uh, is is this the same idea that we've been talking about here of God pointing. Now, did God n- not know this? You know, was right. God caught off guard by all of this? And you know, we haven't mentioned this up to this point. But here, these are passages. Oh, if if we don't employ the good hermeneutics that we've talked about and understanding how the Bible uses anthropomorphic language. This is even within 
you know, well, this is where like unbelievers will come to this and be like, see, 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 like, mm-hmm. you know, God's inconsistent, you know, surely can't be true. These are all just stories. He's not the God you think he is. But even within Christian circles, it's kind of died off. It's still around, I think. But 20, 25 years ago, there was this kind of rise in what was called uh, open theism, a belief that uh, God kind of set things in motion. Yeah. He knows kind of the big things, but he does not know how events will unfold. He is unable to see how our decisions and things like that, basically. It's just kind of the, the gist of the belief, but that God does not know the future. He set it in motion, and there we go. And so, Really, that's, I won't even say it's open theism. It's really kind of deism. Right. Um, but, detachment. Right. Yeah. But they, they would argue there's a difference, and I, and I would actually agree, but <laughs> I don't have time to sort it all out here. But this idea, really, that God does not know the future intimately involved all that kind of along the ride you know for as a cheerleader and kind of keeping things within boundaries but he's uh you know depending upon who you talk to say he's powerless to intervene or he chooses not to in order to not interfere with our human independence and our you know personal freedoms our human responsibility or our free will as some would say and all that which is just simply not the case, you know. But they would use passages like this to say, see, God regrets. He doesn't know. And so he created humans and he created this. And he, yes, he gave them what they wanted and, and saw, but now he's regretting. Yeah. Well, where that gets tempered is one with the, the good hermeneutics, you know, where we can say, no, we can categorically reject that, uh, 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 that way of thinking. But... Uh, uh, just with good hermeneutics, but also if we look at verse 29 in this passage, because there's another kind of concept here, like, and, and this is where I love the Bible, because the writer of 1 Samuel, some think it was Samuel, maybe wrote some of this, probably not, we're not actually sure who the human, you know, author, but the Holy Spirit in his goodness here, very intentionally so that we don't come to that conclusion that God doesn't know the future or that he's admitting to a mistake here also includes this middle portion of the of the passage here. And so um, so Saul and Samuel are kind of having this like back and forth in the in the section here. And Saul seemingly kind of uh, admits, you know, oh, I've sinned, I've transgressed the commandment, I fear the people, you know, I'm a people pleaser, please pardon my sin and all that. But but he's not actually confessing his sin. He's been caught. Yeah. But in the midst of being caught, right, like I said before, he's blamed it on others. You know, like, oh, well, they they they, they made me do it. You know, the people did it. They, they took the spoil and all that. And it's yeah. just like totally, you know, he's kind of down playing it all. And then he blames uh, shifts. And, you know, it's just just bad he, he doesn't take any sort of responsibility and then now that he's been caught and he realizes what's being taken away this position of power and influence and all that now all of a sudden he's like oh okay i'm, I'm, I'm sorry yeah and he admits to it but doesn't ever take ownership for it and there's a big difference in that and what true genuine repentance looks like and just somebody who's caught and Kind of admitting to these things. But verse 26, then Samuel says to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore, and 
Samuel, you know, said to him, it's a good spiritual illustration here. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Which is very interesting here because we are introduced to the neighbor in chapter 16. Like I said, it's the shepherd boy, David. And here's verse 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. And so I, I love this here, right in the midst of it, because this is like what we were talking about earlier here. This is like tempering. This is not human regret. He is not just simply man. He is, God has not made a mistake here. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you have it on. God is feeling the, the sorrow and the grief for Saul's rejection and the effect that it's going to have on him and the people and the kingdom. But he is going to use it to great grace, just like we saw in Genesis, right? You have this wickedness, this rejection of God. Now, where that was characteristic of humanity, now it's characteristic of the, you know, the spiritual leader of Israel as a nation. But in the same way that God is going to preserve Noah, now he's going to preserve David and going to raise him up. And in the same way he made a covenant with Noah, he's going to, in a few chapters later, make a covenant with David uh, for his grace and his mercy. But lest we think in the grief and the sorrow that God is admitting a mistake or that he has somehow been affected personally by sin, we have this uh, good reminder here that the glory of Israel, well, who's that? It's God, right? right. The, God's, God's glory over Israel. He doesn't lie. He doesn't have regret. He's not a man like us. In other words, uh, with our sinful flesh and all that, that he should have that kind of regret. Yeah. And, uh, and so this, it's a verse like that, then that tempers it, you know, that, that keeps us in bounds here uh, of understanding, no, God is sovereign. God doesn't make mistakes. God is involved in the details the, uh, of our life through the, you know, the, what we call the doctrine of providence, or his, like, his which is kind of a, a, a subsection under sovereignty. If sovereignty is the banner of God's uh, universal control over all things in the world, his providence is the outworking of that sovereign control in the details right. of human existence. And, uh, and so he's not like, you know, admitting that he's just actually using the, the details to work out his will. And so where we thought, okay, well, this is coming through the means of Saul, God's blessing, God's, uh, uh, the leadership of Israel come through Saul. Well, it's not like he didn't make a mistake or didn't know that. It's just now the outworking of that will come through David. Right. I think it's interesting going back to the covenants and just seeing how the covenants start broad. Yeah. And we we begin to see these things narrowed down to as the covenant with David, he he talks about the the lineage on the throne, you know, coming through um, David's family pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. And so it's, you know... In Genesis 3, when he makes the covenant, Mm -hmm. he's talking about, you know, coming through the the seed of a woman. And then you have the Mm -hmm. um, covenant with with Noah and then with um, the Abrahamic covenant and and then the Davidic covenant and how it begins to narrow. And so 
if anything, for me, that helps to solidify God's providence in this, that right. things aren't changing. He's carrying out a plan. And right. through the, the sinfulness and the outworkings of, of Saul and others, right. he's working within that. But his, his promise, his covenant is continuing um, to carry itself out. And, right. and because we're on this side of the New Testament and right. the coming of Christ, we can look back and see how these things have been steadfast right. through all of it. Right. It's leading to somewhere, yeah. and God has been so consistent through it all. And and you have to love just the, you know, the perfect, untainted by sin, emotive element of all this. That God isn't just, you know, like in some machine room, you know, <laughs> unaffected by anything, just pulling the levers of the, you know, the world. He is involved yeah. personally. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's okay to to talk about these you know to use these things within you know the way that scripture does because we can over uh, emotionalize if that's a word we over emotionalize <laughs> yeah. uh, God and to make him some sort of like sappy you know human like that and we can we can take that too far on both sides of the spectrum yeah. where God is just like he's a stoic he's unaffected he doesn't have any emotions. Or he's just like this soppy, wet, you know, crying human over here, yeah. uh, just powerless to do anything and just like begging people like, oh, I'm so sad. But but to know that, that he is genuinely grieved yeah. by by our sin, sin in leaders, sin in humanity, our, when we choose to reject him, when uh, when we like they or, or Saul uh, disobey, you know, or partially obey. And then we're caught in it and we blame others or we, you know, we kind of laugh it off or, you know, where we think it's better to ask forgiveness than permission and all that, you know, I think it's like, no, it's not better. You know, it's just God, God expects us to follow his ways. And uh, when we don't to own it and uh, confess it and, and to bear the responsibility for it, um, and 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 when we don't, it, it grieves him. Yeah. He, it, it does cause this sense of regret, but not to the level of where he's owning a mistake. You know, right? Um, that's on us. Yeah, and, and yeah. just on the opposite side of that too, and recognizing his his personal involvement like he delights yep. in his children and in right. the obedience of his children because of his son Jesus Christ Amen. and um, and so I think that we can see both sides of For this sure. and, and find the yep. the beauty of this is yeah like it's like a, yep. a parent who is right. you know leading and guiding their children when they make a mistake it grieves the parent because you know when my when my boys make Mistake. I'm like, oh, like you know better. Like I've I've taught you better. Right. Like, right. but um, but then but you aren't admitting like a mistake. Like, oh, I wish I'd never had you know these kids. <laughs> right. right. But there's regret in your heart because you know the pain that they're going to experience and the yeah. you know just the effect that that's going to have on them and the people around them or even on you. Um, but it's even there, you know, and we're not God, but I think we can relate to that. But it's not like, man, I just regret having these kids. I wish I'd never had them. Right. Well, of course not. Yeah. And then when they do something right and, mm-hmm. you know, when they're walking in obedience and I see, like, I delight right. in them. It brings joy in my heart, but it's a, it, it never affects or changes the love that I right. have for my kids. Too. Right. And so it's, 
Right. It's a weak example in regards to uh, right. God's but, perfection, uh, but it exactly. kind of paints it, a Again, it's anthropomorphic language yep. that we are trying to use to describe God, you know, and our infinite, our, our finite ways of thinking and the yeah. examples to describe something that is infinite. And, and so that's really what's going on here. That's how we make sense of it. And so, you know, what do we do with things like this? Well, one, uh, let this sober us in our own sin that we ca- we cause God grief and sorrow, uh, regret in this sense when, when we sin, you know, when we choose to go our own way. And, and that's not something to just be taken lightly, you know. Yes, we know His grace. Yes, we know His forgiveness. Yeah. Yes, we know His love that uh, uh, will not uh, be taken from us. But that doesn't give us then just the license to cheapen that and to just continue on. Like, no, it, it, it you know, displeases the Lord. And so let that sober us up to yeah. godly living. And, uh, and at the same time, praise God that uh, He is intimately involved in the details of our life. That's right. Yeah. And I think ultimately he, he cares about our heart. When we think about Saul and just as you pointed out this picture of his regret. Yeah. Oh, I've sinned. The people made me do it. You know, it's full of excuses. And then we think about David. Right. When he was called out for his sin with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Lord, I can bring you sacrifices, but what you desire from me is a broken, broken. And, and contrite heart. Yeah. And so seeing a man after God's own heart, God's right. appointed king and the, the humility, the, the humbleness before the Lord versus Saul, yeah. you know, trying to bypass the responsibilities and right. whatnot. And so just another helpful um, right. distinction. Indeed. Indeed. And so you know, good my God, help us as we try to make sense of these things and in our own limited understanding as we grow and and uh, may we continue to live in light of the gospel and uh, Christ's perfect obedience to the Father and uh, that that accomplished the grace and mercy and forgiveness that we now uh, enjoy because of what He did at the cross. Thanks for tuning in to Consider It, where we are considering your questions regarding life, theology, and the church. Consider It is a ministry of Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, Texas. If you would like to submit a question, text the word redemption and your question to 830-299-7505. To learn more about our church and the ministry here, visit redemption.bible. Thank you for your support and listening. Join us next time as we consider it.